Hello, everyone. I'm so glad that you're here joining us as we come together to continue this conversation we've named Transforming the World Through Reflections. And this time, we're focusing on the religious perspective on this global crisis, this intersection between the pandemic and social injustice. And I am honored today to be in the presence of these three wonderful people who are such great community leaders and are here to share with us their thoughts, uh, their feelings, the activities they've engaged themselves in with the community. So I will begin with Pastor Najuma Pollard-Smith. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Pastor Najuma is the founding pastor of Word of Encouragement Church, also the program manager at USC's Cecil Murray Center for Community Engagement. She's an author, she's a radio host, frequently a panelist in events that have to do with women's empowerment, and also in activities that have to do with the black church, uh, creating civic engagement. So you, you, you offer such rich wisdom. I can't wait to hear more about your thoughts. Thank you. Pastor Kelvin Sauls. So I have had the pleasure to get to know Pastor Sauls because I belong to an organization called International Society of Black Latinos. And I think Pastor Sauls is now also a Black Latino, not just from South Africa. <laughs> uh, we have done so many collaborative things and, and we are so thankful to have gotten to know him. Pastor Sauls is from Johannesburg, South Africa. And uh, he is also the host of Faith Without Borders, a program I've had the honor to participate in. Uh, he's the co-founder of the Black Alliance for Just Immigration, BAJI, an organization he also has uh, engaged us with uh, to support the community. And when he was the pastor at home in church, he had a congregation of, I mean, the African diaspora, <laughs> right? And so it is, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Uh, and I would like now to introduce you to someone who's very dear to, to my husband and myself as he officiated our wedding in Panama. And this is Pastor Nelson Edwards. He uh, is the pastor at St. Albans Episcopal Church in Panama and also St. Simon Episcopal Church in Panama. Thank you for being here today and helping us think out loud together and reach the community. So, Pastor Najuma, would you please start us out on, on your thoughts, your concerns about what's happening in the world right now? Well, first, let me say thank you for having me uh, on with you all this afternoon for this, um, for this wonderful conversation. Um, my, my thoughts are many uh, about where the world is right now. Um, my primary thought um, is in alignment with the call on my life, which is to be a prophetic voice. And so there are a number of, and I know, I know I'm not saying this uniquely, there are a lot of people saying the same thing, that we are experiencing a layered pandemic. Um, we have at the core or at the foundation, the COVID pandemic. But then there's other, all these other issues layered on top of it. And so, um, so my thoughts about this time and what I hear God saying to me louder than I've ever heard it before is to be a prophetic voice to, this is not the time for me to be quiet or silent or nervous or shrink back, you know, but to really come, come front and center and be a voice. Um, and not that I'm a voice of, above anybody else's voice, but to be one of the many voices 
um, crying out on behalf of God's people as it relates to being a pastor and preaching and praying, but also um, helping my my congregation and the community that I serve interpret the times. Um, you know, it's credit to the sons of Korah that they knew how to understand the times. I think that's the most important thing. Um, in addition to that, also being a prophetic voice in the spaces as it relates to congregations managing COVID, um, you know, speaking out against the racial injustice and systematic oppression that were, that's one of the many layers. Um, and so, and then, you know, really also uh, talking about the economic crises that we are headed for because we know things are going to, right now people are experiencing a little bit of jubilee because there's been a lot of money poured into the communities and into people's pockets um, and that is, and that was necessary, um, but Congress isn't moving fast enough to care enough about people, and um, that is going to dry up. And when it dries up, you're going to have a lot of people that weren't ready. So really talking to people about their economics um, and how to prepare. Um, so that those are my thoughts. Um, just to be present, you know, like just to be fully present and listen to what God is saying and say what God is saying, and be available. Thank you for your words. Thank you. Uh, definitely an invitation to pause and listen. Pastor Sauls, please share with us uh, about your thoughts and activities. I know you've been very, very involved in the community to be of support. Oops. on mute. Let me see. There we go. Mm -hmm. Good afternoon, everybody. Salbona, Heita. Uh, so good to be with you. And thank you, uh, Dr. Melissa Shepard-Williams, for this opportunity and also uh, to share this time with my uh, dear friend and sister, uh, Reverend Juju, as well as uh, my new friend and colleague, uh, Reverend Nelson Edwards. Uh, looking forward to uh, meeting you in person and uh, to be in Panama at some point. Yes. Uh, Melissa has not. Melissa has not invited me to Panama, so I'm I'm, I'm expecting you to invite me to Panama so that uh, I can uh, do what God has called me to do in Panama. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, certainly these are tumultuous and perilous times, and during these times, uh, I find myself, of course, at the intersection of uh, living and working in South Los Angeles and having been born and raised you know, uh, in South Africa. Uh, so uh, I find myself, you know, um, uh, in a city that's the epicenter for the county and the state of California. And right now, my province in South Africa, the Houghton province uh, in general, particularly my, my community, the Club Town of the Raro Park community is the epicenter, you know, uh, for COVID-19. And so, uh, so at this intersection, there's crisis. At this intersection, there's anxiety, there's fear. Um, and, uh, but in the midst of it all, you know, uh, I uh, trust that God, you know, will be true to God's promise to be Emmanuel with us, God with us, and to be in the midst uh, of, amidst, you know, uh, of this, you know, these, these challenging times, you know, uh, while we're here. I'm reminded during this time of, you know, Psalms, you know, um, 23 verse 4, uh, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, I ought not to fear. And so this is the time uh, of through, you know, but uh, while we're going through this pandemic, you know, all we are seeing and discovering, you know, uh, in the midst of being in that valley and going through it, mm -hmm. uh, we have discovered now you know, what COVID-19 has revealed, some pre-existing conditions to this health pandemic, you know, that we have to deal with. And it's all rooted, you know, in inequities, inequities uh, that, that's been fueled, inequities that's been institutionalized, you know, uh, by, you know, um, uh, white supremacy and institutional racism. Uh, and so we find ourselves, you know, uh, uh, in a health pandemic, but we also find ourselves in a social, economic, and political pandemic that's been going on for years. And COVID-19 has, COVID has really turned all of this upside down for us. 
And so as a person of faith, like, you know, uh, Pastor Najuma, uh, I cannot help uh, but uh, be a prophetic voice. I cannot help but uh, uh, facilitate, you know, uh, courageous, you know, not just words, but courageous actions during this time, uh, but also compassionate action, you know, uh, as we deal with the food insecurity in yeah. South Los Angeles and uh, in my hometown, you know, uh, on the south side of Johannesburg. You know, the similarities are just glaringly similar and uh, frighteningly, you know, uh, uh, familiar in so many, many ways. Uh, and so we seek to, you know, be a prophetic voice, um, um, you know, with Jeremiah, uh, as he states in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, you know, seek the welfare or the shalom, of the city, the community, the country that I've sent you to pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare or shalom, you will find your welfare and shalom. And so that scripture really guides me, you know, uh, towards one intentionality, uh, two intercessory, uh, and of course, you know, uh, uh, mutuality, you know, uh, uh, and, and that's basically how I've approached the role you know, that God has called me to play, you know, uh, during this time. So we, we pound the pavement by making sure that we, that we uh, uh, meet people's basic needs. While on the other hand, you know, we also uh, deal with the, pol the policies that has institutionalized, you know, the consequences that COVID-19 has uh, revealed. And in the midst of it, we say uh, faith up and fear out mm. uh, because... You know, uh, as Second uh, uh, Timothy 1 verse 7 says, you know, God did not give us the spirit of fear, but God gave us a spirit of love, a spirit of power, and a spirit of a sound mind. Mm. Uh, and so we will not succumb to the politics of fear, nor to, you know, messages of fear, because uh, we believe this is a love revolution. When we challenge systemic racism, when we challenge institutionalized inequities, it is a revolution of love. We just seek to reclaim love for ourselves, and we seek to, once again, reposition God's love for us. And in the midst of it all, we seek to reclaim our power uh, that comes from God to see how we need to you know, um, restructure society, how we need to re rework democracies, you know, uh, in such a way that people once again can have the power they need to facilitate progressive movement forward and mm -hmm. to do it based on facts and based on faith and not based on fear. And so here we are and, uh, uh, and it's important for us uh, as people of faith to be the headlight and not the taillight, you know, uh, during uh, these uh, tumultuous and perilous times. So. Uh, I am uh, honored to be, you know, alive during this difficult time, you know, to be able to connect with colleagues uh, to see how it is that we can be hope, love, joy, and peace during this time. Yes. May love keep guiding us. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Fear will paralyze us over and over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your words, Pastor Sauls. Mm -hmm. Nelson, you're in Panama. It is uh almost six o'clock over there <laughs> oh we need to unmute let's see unmute. there you Can are you? yes so it's a go ahead go ahead man how are you doing uh in with with all this that's happening um, earlier today you and I were talking about the very numbers going on in Panama with COVID the numbers are really bad right now what are your yes we're having a bit of 
have a challenge with the internet right now. I've been like one or two deaths per day. Oh. But now over the week. I'm infected for tea. Can he get the condition from the Ministry of Health? Okay. We need to we need to return. We need to return to our conversation until the internet cooperates with us. Okay, here we are again. <laughs> Life in this technology, huh? Yeah. Pastor Nelson. I said in a country of only four in a country of only four million in in a country of only four million inhabitants, a very small country to have an average of uh, 30 persons dying per day is something that's very despairing. Uh -huh. Some of the people have decided or state that anyone who dies in Panama, they simply put it on COVID to make it uh, make it simple. So that's what they kind of use to justify the 30 per day. But situation here is how the is spreading because there are communities where uh, there's no one. And we have places where people live 10 persons in a room. And they tell you if one person gets infected, they tell you isolate yourself. But how do you isolate yourself in a room right. with 10, 10 other, other persons? Right. You know, when, when they tell you about staying indoors, staying in, in, in the house. If you have 10 persons living in a, in a, in a, in a, a room, there's no way 10 person can stay in there all day. And exactly. To go through isolation. Exactly. And what an example of how uh, for the marginalized. Both, both private and. It's harder. For what? It is, it is quite an example of how for the marginalized people in the world, uh, this quarantine experience is, is difficult in a very specific way. How can people isolate to sustain health, to prevent uh, con contagious, this contagious disease? It's hard. All the more reason for us to be in this revolution as pastor Saul said because the pandemic uh speaks not only to current public health issues but public health issues that have been going on for generations and have been strategically unattended yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and i think uh that's why as you you know see you know pastor uh Najuma and i right. talk about of the prophetic voice um, um, but also as we are in prophetic we also want to make sure as Pastor Edward says that we uh, would want to be you know uh, in ministry with people during a time of grief and loss uh, I mean I'm just astounded uh, in a country of four million people as Pastor Edward said you know that one or two people you know uh, uh, die per day you know, I cannot even imagine the depth and breadth of the grief, you know, yes. uh, that, uh, as a pastor, he has to deal with and those families, you know, with uh, with those with those losses. Uh, and to and to think that, you know, as we're going through this time of grief and loss, right, uh, that, you know, uh, there's so much about COVID that could have been prevented or that could have prepared us better to respond to this pandemic. And, uh, but because of all these pre-existing, pre you know, uh, social conditions uh, mm -hmm. that we had, it has really exacerbated, you know, uh, the loss among people that look like us uh, uh, in Panama, in South Africa, and certainly here in the United States. And I think um, you might want to mute Pastor Nelson. Um, so that your feedback is clear, yeah. And I was going to say that, you know, um, as we are, you know, looking at all the things, and just to Pastor Saul's point, all the things that we're facing, um, one of the things that I was 
part of my training and ministry was to also always have an out, you know, a beyond the West Coast or, you know, an, an American viewpoint of life, right? To look beyond um, how things are just here in America. And so when you think about what Panama is going through in other nations like, like Panama, other parts of the world, um, it just helps us to also put, in pers- put some things in perspective. And I think that's what we saw when we saw the, the mass protests, these international protests, um, is while for a lot of Westerners, they think life in other nations, other countries is better or, or not. I don't know, you know, people have a lot of different viewpoints, but what we got a chance to see is how interconnected we really are. Um, and that people are feeling oppression everywhere. And, um, and so when we, when you hear the cry of black lives matter, it's not black lives matter in South LA. It's black lives matter across the globe. And the, then the oppression people are feeling and experiencing and the cry for black lives matter is the starting place it's not the only place, it's the starting place for all these other issues of oppression that people are facing. And, and to pass Saul's point, the pandemic, just all it did was unveil it in a really, in a really gross way that when people had an opportunity to do something about their condition, they just started chatting Black Lives Matter. <laughs> you know, and, and um, because oppression is being felt everywhere. And I and that that was a huge eye opener for a number of people. Myself and Pastor, well, Pastor, he's lived, you know, in South Africa and other and traveled, and I've traveled, so I know. I've and I've been telling my congregation for years, like, listen, y'all ain't seen poverty, you know. You you don't listen. We, I mean, I'm not I'm not impressed with America, but I'm also understanding that you know there's a lot of ways in which we live that we have such opportunity and advantage. but this pandemic kind of leveled the playing field and helped people understand those who had been wondering what it was like overseas got a chance to see, oh, they're oppressed too. And which is why we, we've got to continue to fight all areas of oppression. Agreed. Uh, we have experienced in the diaspora intergenerational trauma. Pastor Sauls and I have had this conversation so many times. And um, one of the things that stands out is the criticism about the way protests have been conducted. And, and that criticism shows lack of awareness about how pain that moves from one generation to another, you know, sits in the body and, and, and you know, when 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 you're threatened you're going to react and to and to go into the streets in that kind of way is an expression of that need to react when 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 safety is is at risk and so i'm thankful for the work that all of you are doing because you're inviting the community to go beyond reacting and into reflecting so that we can thrive, so that we can thrive. Pastor Sauls, you have on many occasions described yourself as an intersectionalist. Please, mm-hmm. please talk more about that. Yes, I mean, uh, as an intersectionalist, you know, one really allows oneself to, um, uh, on an ongoing basis, uh, pay very, very close attention internally and externally, uh, 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 emotionally, spiritually, you know, uh, um, while being in two, you know, different places, you know, uh, geographically. And so for me, uh, that is South Los Angeles and South Johannesburg. Uh, not a day goes by when I'm not in these two places at the same time. Yes. Um, uh, and of course, technology now has made it, you know, uh, much, much easier to do that. I can be on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard and Crenshaw, right, you know, uh, and talk with my brother who is inside Johannesburg. And as we did this past week, we are talking about similar things, you know, uh, uh, how are we 
facilitating resources so that people can have access to food. So one's analysis then, you know, while you're at the intersection, uh, invites one to then see uh, how can we look at what is happening in these two geographic places while at the same time uh, uh, doing a comparative analysis around not just what is you know, the same in real time, but also what's the same in the root causes of what's happening. So an intersectionalist in so many ways you know, is an individual or individuals uh, that sort of really you know, uh, go deep and be deep into places at the same time, not necessarily, you know, uh, 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 comparing, you know, uh, who's been harmed the most. Uh, so it's not a, a, uh, a, a comparison of, you know, uh, who's worst off, but really an, an analysis of what are the root causes, what's being mm -hmm. revealed around what's been happening in these two places. And for instance, you know, uh, what that has helped me with is what L.A. has been going through in the 1980s around the drug, you know, uh, a pandemic, right? My hometown of El Dorado Park is going through that now, right? Mm. As I go Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, you know, to facilitate food access and deal with food inequity, South Johannesburg is going through the same thing. I mean, just this morning, you know, I was in conversation, you know, uh, with an individual uh, to see how they can begin to work with farmers, just like we are working with farmers to provide fresh produce. And if they cannot do that, how can they just start their own community gardens? Well, guess what? We have a partner in South Asia that works with us in that community garden. So at the intersection, you know, uh, yes, there is pain because of the two contexts that you are looking at uh, uh, around oppression, discrimination, marginalization. But I found is if you are willing to broaden, to boldly broaden your circle of concern at the intersection, that's exactly because of that proximity, that's where you then also find that at that intersection of oppression, there's also you know, the opportunity to transform it into an intersection for liberation. Now, not just liberation of one person or one people or one community, but a collective liberation, you know, uh, around dealing with what needs to happen uh, around the disparity in, you know, these two communities, in these two cities and in these two countries and in two different hemispheres, right? You know, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of it. So, so that's what intersectionalist, you know, means for me. Uh, um, uh, and then of course, in the United States, for me, the intersection is between being uh, black and being immigrant. And so that invites me, you see, uh, into, you know, uh, uh, exploring the experience, you know, uh, the African-American experience. Uh, uh, and I've you know, been very, very intentional around uh, uh, going deep around that experience, which was very, very painful, right? You know, but again, at that intersection, you know, uh, there was enlightenment, there was empowerment and the opportunity to see how one can now collaborate courageously, you know, uh, with colleagues around facilitating, you know, our collective liberation. So in this, in this meeting, this convergence where you're discovering how many forms of strife we have in common in the diaspora, opportunities for collaboration become visible. Thankfully, yes. technology is supporting us in this, but we, we also talk about people who have no access to these technologies in a time when uh, connecting to community is so important, not only to uh, be as well as possible in the quarantine, but just to feel we need touch. And so, you know, we've talked so much about how difficult it is for people who don't have this technology. But thankfully, those who, don't, who do can, you know, galvanize the community, as you all do, to support them, too. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Please, please share with us about uh, the work that you've been doing, particularly as it relates to 
uh, having a platform for the voice of a woman mm -hmm. in this experience, not only the current public health situation, but what's been going on for generations. Right. So one of the things that a lot of people don't know, not so much leadership, but just I think general public, is that when you look at most of these, these social movements um, across our nation, women have always been a big, a huge force in, in our social justice movements. And so, but women have not always received the, their, the acknowledgement and the recognition of their work in social justice movements. I mean, yes, we know, we know the key players, right? Harriet Tubman, uh -huh. Andrew Hamer, uh, you know, um, who's some others, you know, um, Rosa Parks, right? Like right. we know the top five, right? Right. But what, well, a lot of people, <laughs> But what a lot of people don't know is the is the, is all the mothers of the many churches in communities across this nation that put their pennies together to support the Dr. Kings and the John Lewis's, you know, um, and the work of all these giants um, that we happen to know a little bit about in history because the history books gave us a smidge of of our of our Black history here in America, and so. Part of what for me is important and has been for some time is is being present in social justice work. Yes. Not so that Najuma can get recognition, um, because anybody who does social justice work knows that you are, you actually put yourself more at risk than anything. Yes. Um, but to also give voice to the to the fact that women have always been a part of social justice movements and have been the funders of social justice movements and have been sometimes the brain and the wisdom behind some of the act actions that have taken place historically. Mm -hmm. And so this season is, is not different than any other season for me. And so when, you know, and, and so when it came time, you know, to start standing up in this way with George Floyd and, and in particular, Breonna Taylor, Taylor, you know, it was yes and absolutely yes, you know, um, because, you know, as well as, you know, working with our, our city politicians around making sure churches are not left out of the conversation when it comes to this COVID-19 crisis and really having some straight up conversation with the mayor. We, you know, we, we did that. We rallied together in the beginning because we want the mayor to know you can't leave the black church out of these conversations and, you know, just forget about us like we don't matter. And so, so, you know, for me, it's, it's not so much about Najuma or just a black woman's voice, but that black women have always been at the center of social justice work and we should continue to do that. And I, and my hope is to continue to encourage, those coming behind me that they stay active in social justice work. One of the things that was a, a great highlight to me when we were downtown at the school board, it was a group of, of black girls that were going in and they were like, well, Najuma, can you go in with them? Absolutely. Um, who better to escort our black girls who are going to lend their voice to, you know, fighting for the budget relates to LAUSD than a, than a black mother. You know, a black yes. woman, but I'm also a black mother, right? And so, um, and so, just really trying to be present in that way, I think, is so important. And and because so many people just don't know historically how black women have been at the center and the foundation of social justice work in this nation since we've been here. As I as I was listening to you, Pastor Najuma, you reminded me of something I learned in conversation with a dear friend who like myself has Jamaican ancestry. Uh, in this history of, of uh, civic engagement, there are figures like Marcus Garvey, yeah. who promoted, you know, Pan-Africanism. But how yeah. many people talk about his wife, Amy Garvey, yeah. who was right. at right. the core of yeah. the work he did. You yeah, know, yeah. To absolutely. To engage people in uh, appreciating the heritage that we have from Africa, no matter where in the world we are. Yeah. Right. And I, 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm grateful of my brothers that I stand with on, you know, protest after protest who, who give space. They don't try to muffle my voice. Um, you know, they, they encourage it. They put, they push me out there sometimes when, when I don't, when I'm not sure it's my turn, <laughs> um, you know, so, so it's good to be, so that's why I appreciate my brothers like Pastor Sauls and Q Jean Marie and Eddie and so many others who were like, no, you know, we're going to, we're going to put you up to speak as well. So, and it's just important. It's just important that people know that black women have been a part of these socialist movements. And so, you know, even with, um, uh, you know, as relates to Breonna Taylor, we can't let the stories of oppressed black women either go un, unacknowledged and given the same kind of light and attention as George, George Floyd. And it's not to compare. Right. It's just to say George Floyd matters, Breonna Taylor matters. It's not this, it's this. And exactly. so, but it's incumbent upon me as a black woman, uh -huh. you know, yeah, I want my brothers, but as a black woman, I got to say Breonna Taylor. Uh -huh. I got to say, you know, Letitia Harlan, I got to name all these other, I got to say Sandra Bland as a mm -hmm. black woman because it can't be, you know, so because all the other black girls out there and black women. So, um, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> as, 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 you know, we, we make sure to acknowledge the role of the woman in, in this process. Uh, I'm thinking about the, the Caribbean women who uh, have this ancestry that also includes slavery history. And Pastor Nelson and myself being from Panama, we have behind us a ton of violence. Yeah. And so we, we are aware from the Caribbean point of view, what it's like uh, yeah. for, for black people to be marginalized. Yeah. Uh, during the construction of the Panama Canal, uh, people went to Panama from all over the world to be part of this, but yeah. marginalized. The black person, the black yeah. person. And on that note, I, I would like to share something that Pastor Nelson just uh, messaged us about as he's having difficulties with uh, technology, with the internet. Uh, the unequal distribution of resources that we see here in the U.S., is happening in Panama as well. And he's talking about how, um, you know, the opportunity to support people through COVID is not equally distributed in terms of financial resources. Uh, so there again, the intersection you were talking about, Pastor Saul. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Pastor Nelson, are you able to? Uh, I'm going to try. What? Yes. Good. Oh, that's the point right now. I was writing something here. <laughs> yes, the internet. And that's an issue that's been going on in Panama right now. The internet has been difficult, which only makes it hard for people who have to do telework and uh, uh, help with academic uh, responsibilities, teaching their yeah. the, compu the, the computer function is so challenged in Panama right now. I know that it's needed so much for the children back in school doing their virtual uh, uh, classes. Yes, yeah. Um, as you were saying earlier in private conversation, you know, places in extreme poverty where communities have no running water. So right. how do they keep up with the sanitation and how do they isolate if needed uh, to keep people safe? So many people in a single house. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes, one person in a room with 10. It's almost impossible. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and also, uh, the, the once that person is infected, it's, it's mm -hmm. once that on weekends, there is this total quarantine in which everyone's. Mm. The quarantine can't be carried out properly. You may at home. Ashton Nelson just shared and the chat. 
Weekends, you're finally picking up five and six hundred persons off the street that has nothing to do out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They take them in and they find them a hundred dollars and they send them send them back home again. They don't want to wear the face mask. People resisting to wear masks. It's happening over there. Right. Yeah. Pastor Sauls, I, 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 I believe you were going to add a comment. Yeah, just quickly, I was going to just suggest that uh, I think Pastor Nelson's voice is so important that he may want to go off camera. Maybe that will help the bandwidth a little better. I know that's what I do sometimes uh, is to turn my video off. That gives me okay. a little bit more bandwidth. So that could be, you know, uh, for him to do that because I think it's so important to hear you yes. know, his voice. Yeah. Pastor but I was gonna... Maybe we could just have your audio and no video. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we could yeah. hopefully hear you in more detail. Right. Mm -hmm. But I was going to just. Okay. Uh, President has proposed. There we go. Mm -hmm. There. There you go. The President has uh, suggested to the National Assembly with all the deputies to. Uh, to partially change the law by which their salaries will be lowered a little for specific space of time, like till December, that that can help share the poor. Because a deputy uh, salary is like $10,000 a month, plus all the other fringe benefits they get along with it, and they, they refuse to make the, to make the change to help. They only, they're only interested in the community when it's time for elections. They come out and give a few bucks or whatever they can to get right. the votes. But after you're on your own. Mm -hmm. Very convenient and no different from here. And no different from South Africa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, 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 so that's another pandemic. That's a political pandemic that we are dealing with. You know, just the lack right. of integrity you know, from elected officials the lack of care and concern, the lack of transparency, uh, um, and the lack of accountability, you know. Uh, and, and so, you know, uh, those three aspects, integrity, transparency, and accountability, are critical, it's, it's, you know, uh, to a viable and functioning democracy. And here we are sitting, you know, uh, in, in three countries, you know, represented here, United States, South Africa, and Panama, you know, and, and it's the same thing. And that's what we are talking about in terms of this, you know, this thing that COVID-19 has now revealed, you know. Uh, and so people are talking about, well, when are we going back to normal? You see, there has never been a normal, you see. The, no, the, the pre-COVID, the pre -COVID, you know, uh, normal was an illusion. It was a veil throw, thrown over the eyes uh, uh, and the minds of people all around the world, you see. Uh, now, pre-COVID, I mean, while we're in COVID, it is now revealed that that was not normal. So when people talk about going to normal, I hope and pray that that normal is not going back to a pre-existing COVID-19. Right. Because that will be disastrous. That will be sinful. That will be immoral. That will be unrighteous, you see. And so a post-COVID-19 South Africa, United States, and Panama ought to look radically and drastically different than a pre-COVID South Africa, Panama, and the United States. And I believe that God demands that God's people you know, uh, take that prophetic and moral stance, you know, uh, to facilitate that by organizing people power, you know, uh, because that's the, the key in any democracy. And so that's what we are all about. You know, uh, it is not just, you know, providing uh, uh, food for people, but also to see uh, how we can engage in virtual organizing. I mean, Pastor Juma and I, as she mentioned, we are on half of our days, you know, are spent of course, you know, 
doing theological and, and, and reflections for sermons and all of that. Right. Part of the other uh, 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 part of the day is serving people's direct needs. And then mm -hmm. the other part of the day is about organizing and being in support and solidarity of you know, our, our organizers and our leaders who are out there at Board of Supervisors meetings, you know, who are writing letters you know, to the, uh, the governor and our legislatures, you know, who are in touch with the mayor you know, uh, or all of our city council members. You know, that's an integral part of, uh, as I said earlier, this, in, in this in, intentional... So it's important to be in this intentional space. I think that's what he was going to say. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful, and I know I speak for many, for all the work that you have all been doing because it is the, it is the support that we need to move through. Pastor Salsi, we were talking earlier about moving through. And moving through uh, uh, definitely speaks to, to my heart as a clinician. Moving through, those are words of, of healing because the so-called normalcy, or as you called it earlier, the illusion of normalcy earlier, uh, that's frozen pain, mm -hmm. unattended. And, you know, this public health situation has placed a magnifying lens on what's been going on for centuries. You know, for many, this was known but for others, it's now known. And, yeah. uh, and you know, uh, we have to keep going onward with the community healing, the mutual support. Um, I pray that on the other side of this, um, the transparency, the deeper uh, dive into learning about our history supports us, you know. Um, being being strengthened by our ancestry to move to move forward and you know on that note i would i would like to to hear about your your reflections all of you on the role the church has played the role that religion has played in the lives of uh people in the diaspora before uh, slavery, through slavery, and into the present moment. Um, so, I, I mean, the church, well, when we talk about the church, um, and I think it's important that we contextualize that. We're not talking about just like Western, this Western right. white church. Religion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I think as, as an African people, as a people of African descent and diaspora, we've always been a people of faith. We've not never been a people of faith. And I think that's one of the things that I try to tell people, like, if you, you know, you, you, we've all, we didn't, we didn't come to America and discover God. Right. We actually brought God with us. Um, but we didn't discover God. Now, now maybe a, a white church understanding of God was placed upon slaves, but we didn't discover God and God didn't discover us and we got here. So we've always been a people of faith um, and with all the rituals and practices um, that come with our ancestry. And so, um, and so that, and it's always been the center of our, of our people. You know, even if you think about the tribes, there was always you know, uh, a queen mother or a voodoo doctor or, you know, uh, or some, you know, there was always a medicine man or someone who was at the center of the tribe and all of it was spiritual is what I'm trying to say. There was always some spiritual practice or a practitioner and they had different names then. But, but if you want, but there's always been that at the core of our tribes. And yes, over time, you know, in, due to, you know, colonizers coming in and seeing that as, seeing that worship as, you know, beast-like beast and barbaric and all these things. And so we've taken on other forms of religious practice, right? Catholic church or Catholicism and, you know, 
Protestant movements and all these things over time, but we've always been a people of faith. And, and so jumping, you know, way forward to 2020, even at these, even when you think about Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter is not just a social justice movement, but at their core is spirituality. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it's not necessarily the, you know, the white American church format, but it's spirituality. Um, mm -hmm. And, at, and, in, and, in, and, and where you have other organizing bodies, at their core is a spirituality and so, and a religious practice of some kind. And so that, that is not new to people who do social justice work. Now, how it looks may, you know, may look different here and there, but their core has always been this connection to, to, to a spiritual formation, spiritual practice. And that's what we have to constantly educate people about, especially when it comes to black folks. We did not come to America as slaves and God find us and we find God. We, we came, we were on slave ships with God and God was with us on slave ships. Pastor mm -hmm. Sauce. Yes, uh, and I hope that you will follow what Pastor Nelson is also saying in the chat about how, you know, uh, you know, faith is working there. But I think, you know, uh, for me, you know, uh, when, when, when Pastor Najuma was, you know, talking about there's always this, you know, a spiritual person, you know, what came to mind for me to, uh, to uh, exemplify this, you know, in the Lion King, you have Rafiki, right? <laughs> you know, you have Rafiki who yeah. advises, right? You know, uh, Mufasa. Right and 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 talks and deal. I mean, that's so spirituality is an integral part of creation, and 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 ours, you know, is a a spirituality or faith that is about resistance and reimagination. I mean, that's what I love about the, you know uh, 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 black theology, black church, and all of that undergirds uh, 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 Black Lives Matter. You know, uh, because because they've grounded what they are doing, you know, uh, in spirit, and that is why we are not surprised, you know, as to how spirit has moved all across the country and indeed all across the world, you know, because of the spiritual roots, you know, uh, of it. You know, uh, when when a meeting starts, I mean, you know, the honoring of the ancestors. I mean, just really acknowledging the ancestral cloud of witnesses, making space and room for our ancestors to meet us at that intersection, no matter where we may find ourselves. So when we gather, you know, uh, whether it's downtown, you know, uh, to march from the courthouse to, 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 to city hall, or whether we are in some park where we are memorializing or of a person that was, you know, murdered by, uh, you know, uh, uh, the police, you know, we, 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 we are met at that intersection by Marcus Garvey, spiritually, by Nelson Mandela, spiritually, you know, by Harriet Tubman, spiritually, by Ella Baker, spiritually, by Maria Makeba, spiritually, by Patricia Lumumba, spiritually. Uh -huh. They all meet us at that intersection. We are not lonely at the intersection, y'all. You know, there are a lot of folk there waiting for us, waiting at us, saying, when are y'all going to come out of your places of you know, illusionary comfort, right? Your places, you know, uh, of, 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 of convenience, right? You know, uh, move from your comfort zone into the construction zone. That's where the intersection is. And that's right now where I believe John Lewis has landed, right? Yes. You see? And, and he is such a powerful, you know, uh, uh, example of how, you know, he has been able to connect what has happened on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, right? And what has happened, you know, at you know, the last place that uh, he was publicly was Black Lives Matter Square in Washington, D.C., right? You see, you know, uh, uh, um, at some point, We Shall Overcome was not popular. And then it became popular when Nixon said, when Nixon is about to sign uh, the Voting Rights Act, he says, We Shall Overcome, right? Isn't it ironic that when Black Lives Matter came up, everybody was running away from that word and trying not to say, now all of a sudden, everybody's saying Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter. That's scriptural. The stone that the builder refused shall become the cornerstone. I mean, that's what's happening right now. And it's all because 
This is a movement, you know, a disliberative movement is a movement of faith. That's how black folk do faith, whether we're in South Africa or whether we're in the United States. We are about the prophetic gospel. We are about, you know, uh, the uh, social gospel, uh, mm -hmm. but we are also about this gospel that is about the betterment of people's lives, the upliftment of communities, and indeed a commitment uh, to uh, facilitating, you know, uh, a more Im imagination of what can be, which is God's, you know, our beloved uh, global community. And that's what it's about, you know, uh, for us. So, so the church is at the heart of this. The church is at the center of it. The church is not called just to be a thermometer, but we've been called to be a thermostat, right? Mm -hmm. We don't just come in, you know, the church is not called just to be a reactor. We are called to be proactive. You know, uh, let, me, let me close by, by, by using the example of the Good Samaritan, right? You know, uh, 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 um, we are not just interested in showing up and picking up the victims anymore, okay? What we are saying as people of faith mm -hmm. is we need to do something about the lights on the Jericho Road. We need to do something about the cracks in that road. We need to do something about uh, the fact that that road is dangerous for people to travel on. How can we facilitate safety on that road? Do we need to have some rest areas on that road? Where is the electricity on that road? What's the infrastructure uh, that we need to build around the Jericho Road? For time, I believe that God is saying to the church, is saying to people of faith, right? How are we to reimagine the Jericho Road so there are no more victims on that road? You see, uh -huh. and that's what the task is at hand for us. You know, uh, it, is, it, is, it is inviting us into boldness. And it's inviting us into courage to be able to see how we can continue to resist while at the same time reimagine. Pastor Nelson shared with us earlier that it is that kind of courage and boldness that has moved women into the streets in protest with their children, even if uh, health is at risk. Um, you know, we are a people of resilience. Pastor Nelson, I'm wondering if the internet will allow you now to add to, to, to this piece. If he goes off camera, you might have a little better. Yes. If we, if we hear you without the video, it might work out best. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> what the future holds, we're not really sure of. But we all need to work and strive towards improvement. How long is this virus going to cost us? Is anybody's guess. Uh, I do believe that as a church, we need to have a more active, uh, active stand on what's happening. We tend to sit and take things easily because of faith. We think that by faith, things are just going to happen automatically. But faith without works, as James said in his epistle, is no work, no faith at all. He says, show me your faith and I show you my works. And that's what we need to do. Yes important words to reflect on you know for so long the oppressor justified their actions by dehumanizing us so that they could feel like they're upholding a so-called moral code but all this protesting all this upheaval uh is going to to, to shake the oppressor they're going to have to look at themselves in a new way. Um, we can't wait until they choose to do that. We need to throw ourselves into our healing. And I am so mm -hmm. thankful that I am in the presence of the three of you and, 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 and to be aware of the work that you do. I thank you for all the energy that you invest in uh, uplifting our community not only locally, but internationally. Uh, you're, you're a blessing to the world. I thank you for being here today to invite us into reflection. I pray that 
on the other side of this, uh, a new normal is created like Pastor Sauls uh, mentioned earlier. May this turning point in history be like no other. Thank you again. Thank you. Pastor Saul, the invitation Thanks. is open. The invitation is open to come to Panama. <laughs> yes, the invitation is open to Panama. You heard it here. <laughs> Look, I, Pastor Nelson, I, I'm waiting for Dr. Melissa Shepard-Williams no more. I know, I know I have a brother and I got many sisters over there that will welcome me and, yes. and giving God thanks and praise for the hospitality that will be provided uh, for me. Yes. <laughs> See you in Panama. <laughs> for Pastor, for Pastor Look, and Juma. I know, listen, and I know Pastor Juma, she's going to be right there. You know, uh, <laughs> with us. Hey, you know, we, and we, we will be we welcoming go, we go you with coconut rice and peas and curry. Yeah. Yes. 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 <laughs> All of that. Yeah. <laughs>